Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update Friday mornings here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM, and a happy Erev Shabbos Nachamu to you. Uh, to you, too. Happy to Ba'av. Yeah, oh, boy. <laughs> we got holidays coming all over the place here. Uh, you know, it's funny, um, the, uh, and, and there's been a lot of you know good lines and, and jokes about it, but again, we see how the uh, Olympic Forum uh, can play a part on the international political scene. I have to I have to just note, because uh, like I say, there's some good lines coming out. Uh, someone posted the following, Lost in all the hoopla over Ori Sassoon's defeating the Egyptian in the handshake that wasn't, Sassoon set the record for the quickest beatdown of an Egyptian, shattering the previous record time of six days. <laughs> and I thought that, that, that was a pretty that was a pretty yeah, good line. Very clever. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, important, I guess, to um, remind everybody as this international sports contest uh, continues that um, uh, never is an opportunity lost to turn into a political situation. And usually, or very often, Israel is, of course, the victim of such. Uh, yet another reminder that no matter what arena people are in, um, there's always a role to play in terms of defending Israel and being there to tell the truth. Right. Uh, absolutely, and uh, there are a lot of things of significance in this. One, that it reflects again that while we may have a piece of governments, we, we still don't have a piece of the people, and it wasn't an isolated incident. Remember, the Lebanese delegation wouldn't let the Israelis on the bus. They asked them not to come on. They wouldn't get on an elevator. Another incident occurred uh, with uh, Israelis were in it, and... Um, it shows how much work has yet to be done. But I think that the reaction in the Arab world was uh, better than what people anticipated. And the fact that the crowd booed the Egyptian for his unsportsmanlike, whether it's because of, you know they were supportive of Israel or not, mm. is hard to tell. But they certainly were condemnatory of the unsportsmanlike and, and uh, behavior. And he had to come back on the uh, back to the center stage and, and, and bow uh, to his uh, opponent, which is the minimum. You're supposed to shake hands or at least bow. And he did do that, uh, but obviously would not shake hands under any circumstances with the, his Israeli opponent. But at the same time, we've seen in, in Saudi newspapers, for instance, a series of articles saying that it's time to end the anti-Israel and, and anti-Semitic attacks. And it wasn't just one or two articles. And, of course, those things don't just happen. Uh, so that that was, uh, uh, you, you see very contradictory trends. Yeah. But it takes a long time, and that's why we talk about incitement and we talk about these things, because you see how it poisons the people. And you can have all the positive gestures on a national level if you don't reach the people with the message. And President Sisi has made some very positive comments as well. But it'll take a long time till we see those ninety percent hostile figures dropping to eighty to seventy. Here. And what happens to the? Uh, and this is not in any way to uh, you know give a pass to this athlete who I'm sure in some ways was you know had in the back of his mind what the reaction would be back home, so to speak. Uh, but what about the journalists who write those articles that you just cited, and those leaders who come out and ask for a uh, you know for cooperation and ending the anti-Semitic acts, etc.? I mean, are they putting their lives on the line in those situations? It has happened in the past. They get threats. Uh, people visited Israel from Jordan, from Egypt, uh, professionals to attend uh, 
association meetings, whatever, uh, often encountered uh, hostile reactions on their return, being uh, kicked out of unions or associations, professional associations. Uh, so there is a risk, obviously, uh, involved. I think you're right that maybe if the Egyptian had won, his reaction might have been somewhat different, but right. the humiliation of losing to an Israeli and then having to shake hands with him probably was too much. Yeah, 100%. Um, also, speaking of uh, uh, of things we could learn from, from history and from encounters, so it's 25 years since Crown Heights, and some people in the audience, I mean, obviously some are, too young to remember, and those who are young, we encourage you to read up on things that happen, even in quote-unquote modern Jewish history. <laughs> it's hard to believe that some of the things we live through are actually considered history at this point. Uh, do, you, do you think that it, things would have been worse or, or would not have recuperated to the point that they did if New York would not have gone through the big transformation, the big anti-crime transformation uh, of the 90s that it did? I mean, could that... Crown Heights situation, the riots of 25 years ago, really have led to essentially the destruction of one of the most prominent Jewish communities? Well, I was in- intimately involved at the time, and um, the seething hostility was very clear. But remember, there were many outsiders who were really provoking the local residents, yeah. and that many of those uh, who, whether leaders or followers, who came from the outside had nothing at stake. The people themselves recognized it, and there were still scenes. You saw that blacks were in Hasidic-owned stores, Hasidim were in black-owned stores, even during the rioting, even during a lot of the demonstrations. So we always have to see who's behind it, who, what are the factors. Uh, clearly, there is today a lot of tension. You see how incidents are uh, explosive, but often there are outside manipulators and people with other agendas. One of those that, that have taken advantage of incidents that occurred, whether in Ferguson or other places, was the, 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 um, those for Justice for Palestine or other groups of that kind uh, who interloped themselves in what's called sectionality today. There's a new term for where you combine causes, and so Black Lives Matter put in a clause, uh, clause about Israel that should be condemned and has to be criticized. Uh, and they accuse Israel of genocide and all sorts of things, which has absolutely nothing to do with what they were supposed to be advocating. And uh, But we see it all over where they successfully try to hijack other causes for their own purposes. And, uh, you know, that we should look at who this really, when you see things, who it's really an expression of. So if things are peaceful today... It's not just the the anti-crime push and success of the 90s. It's, I guess, also the efforts of community leaders on both sides. And the the fact that, as you just said, there's been a recognition of those who try to take advantage and a rejection of those same leaders, so to speak, by, you know, at the appropriate time. And there were a lot of failures at the time of of citywide leadership of others um, to, to react right away, to get the seriousness of it. Uh, which is not unusual. They often, you know, people don't expect situations that uh, it's like a you know fire that starts and then it flares up suddenly. Uh, that people there are tensions in society. There always are, but when they reach a certain point and when people exploit them for political purpose for other purposes, 
then that becomes that's a formula for disaster and i think that the community leaders deserve a lot of credit for for what they've done and you see that today crown heights is a bustling community it's gentrified all around crown heights there are adjacent communities already uh, Jewish communities that are really quite remarkable. Yeah, it is pretty interesting to watch. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie signed the bill prohibiting the state's pension and annuity funds from investing in companies that boycott Israel or Israeli businesses. The measure, signed Tuesday, was passed in the state's General Assembly in June by a vote of 69 to 3, with two abstentions that passed the state Senate unanimously in May. The state's pension fund controls more than $80 billion in assets, according to the AP and provides coverage for about 800,000 current and retired public employees. Israel and New Jersey annually trade more than $1.3 billion in goods, according to the legislation. Is anybody keeping a scorecard now of state legislatures that have uh, gone ahead and implemented similar moves regarding anti-BDS? Well, we have about a dozen, uh, 10 to a dozen right now, but we have quite a few that are in the process and uh, everybody will remember Governor Cuomo signed a very strong uh, executive order, not even waiting for the legislature, but setting the pace. And that had, I think, a profound impact around the country. The, uh, we are seeing more and more efforts of this kind to uh, denounce the, the BDS movement, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions. Uh, I think that we have to, and we are, trying to reorient the focus. Uh, BDS is a tool. BDS is not the problem. It's mm-hmm. not the, the core. It is one of the tools they use to try and delegitimize Israel. And at its uh, the underlying premises, of course, is anti-Semitism, which says Jews don't have the rights of, the other, of others. They don't have a right to a state. And the Jewish state doesn't have the rights of other states. They call not for some sort of an adjustment. They're not calling for you know, two-state solutions or, or one-state solutions or anything of that kind. They're calling for the elimination of the state. When you ask the BDSers what, what boundaries would you accept, would you accept the 48 or 67, do you want to give up the territories, they won't answer because that's not what they're interested in. They won't commit to anything that defines a Jewish state. So we have to be very clear, and, and I appreciate all of these efforts, and we have encouraged it and we work with them to try and make sure that the language is, is as strong as possible. Uh, uh, but in many respects, it's, it's symbolic, the fact that they don't have access to tens of billions of dollars of potential investment is certainly a disincentive for companies. But uh, more importantly is the spotlight of public opinion that should be shown on, the, on those who engage in, with companies or entities that uh, practice BDS or encourage it or speak up for it. And what about the public opinion end on... On you know those who sit and watch these state legislatures take on these types of causes, is there any reason to suspect that uh, you know in general Americans are or are are for or against this practice? Americans care about fair play, and they they do not like uh, these kind of boycotts and uh, discriminatory measures. Um, I know that Governor Cuomo got some critical comments and because he, he, in fact, added another uh, uh, a strengthening comment to the, um, about advocacy for BDS in, in his uh, executive order, um, that there was some opposition or people criticized it, and I think Civil Liberty Union or others are still threatening to sue. But, the, uh, but overall, the reaction, and you had there in the room when he made the announcement, Aside from Jewish leadership, you had their leaders of, of many communities, blacks, Hispanics, and others who were there, 
and uh, and the city council i know others other bodies uh, across the country have adopted resolutions even though they don't have the power that uh, a state legislature may have in terms of pension funds etc right. uh, it's still a reflection of the of the sentiment and and by and large the american people support israel they care about israel they want to see israel thrive israel just got an a plus rating by s and t again which was uh, you know in saying that that in a region of total instability, there they have a greater revenue from taxes than they expected. They have better balance of payments, etc. So, the, the BDS movement is not hurting Israel economically. It, it is nasty, and it's uh, it's a, but it's a propaganda vehicle for those who want to eliminate the Jewish state. Oh, by the way, on the on the history angle that I brought up earlier, and being familiar or being reacquainted with some of the things that have happened in modern Jewish history, did you notice? Uh, a few days ago, there was a report uh, with more with, with what seemed to be more definitive information about the uh, uh, about the end of Raoul Wallenberg and how uh, his life came to an end in Russia. Yes, it was a, a it was a diary that was found inside uh, a wall that had been hidden behind a wall uh, from the first founder of of the KGB as we know it, and uh, when he when he died, they didn't find it. It was only found by. I think a grandson uh, recently, and in the document, in the thing which has been published, he talks about the death of Wallenberg at, at uh, the behest of, of Stalin, that he gave, Stalin gave the order in 1947 right. to, um, for his execution. So it seems, and I would say that this is a fairly credible report, it substantiates what has been heard before, although right. there were uh, some alleged sightings after 1947, 1949. Uh, others believe it, it, he was uh, killed. But the, there's been a cover-up for many years, and I think that the Russians now should come forward, give the final documentation, at least put the matter to rest, let the family, the surviving members of his family, know what happened. Uh, it's a tragedy. It's inexplicable. They picked him up off the streets of, of Budapest, and he was never seen again. And for those who are in their teens or 20s or even older who are not familiar with his life, uh, let us take the responsibility to uh, teach the younger people about people like Raoul Wallenberg, obviously uh, heroes uh, for our people, certainly, during World War II. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, and of course, on the NSN app. You heard this story? Did you read the article about the uh, the baby from Afghanistan that was uh, operated on in the Cologne Medical Center in Tel Aviv with a life-saving heart operation. <laughs> I, I, say, I, I say it because you've emphasized how people from around, you know, from countries you would never suspect end up utilizing the incredible abilities of Israeli doctors. And here's another case. And there, it is a, a remarkable story in and of itself, but it's reflective of a, an amazing effort. And this week in particular, um... I can't go into all the details, but efforts to that brought a very significant number of victims of the fighting in Syria across the border into Israel to be treated. And they're taken back, and as you know, it's not something that sits well with many others, and they fear for their lives. But mothers brought their children, and grandmothers brought 
you know, children and, and others who were, who were hurt. Uh, and Israelis risked their lives to escort them and, and facilitate bringing them in to, to be treated. And yet the world doesn't acknowledge it. And you're not talking about small numbers. There have been thousands well, yeah, who have been treated like this. And, and Israel picks up the tab for all of this. Nobody's paying for it. You know, just as uh, we've said this before, but, you know, the, you see all the criticism from the PA, but they don't tell you that Abbas's brother, who recently died, that was treated for cancer in Israeli hospital, came there from uh, Qatar, where he, he lives, or Kuwait. Um, has family members, many members of the Abbas family, uh, and others, leaders of Hamas and their own families, and Israel treats them. And yet they're the ones who are condemned by the World Health Organization, Israel and Israel alone condemned. And the, the bias in which we are fighting it at the United Nations, and I think it's getting some, some more traction. There was even reports this week that the Arab states would not uh, pursue action against Israel this year or at the International Atomic Energy Agency. Unfortunately, it was leaked to the press, which may force their hand again, but um, the very fact that you had less and, and more uh, less criticism and more recognition of the bias, and, and we are hearing it, this, the effort that we launched a couple months ago has gained real traction both here in the United States but also internationally, and people who want to sign the declaration can go to the conferenceofpresidents.org website and sign on as well. Uh, I know that, just going back for a moment, I, I know that you're purposely being vague, but uh, uh, when you say a significant number this week, a significant number could mean hundreds? It's a it's a significant number. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Israeli hospitals treating those who are victims in the Syrian battle situation. Let's put it that way. That, that's right. Um, this video of the uh, home of the uh, terrorist who killed um, Halel, uh, the twelve year old girl, being demolished. The the home being demolished. These I mean, first of all, it's a really powerful video, if you ask me. And I don't know how often. They're actually released to the public. I think it's a great idea uh, for the enemy to see or the potential enemy to see what could happen. Uh, do, we, do we know if, if in fact, the, you know, though, first of all, I can't believe that these videos are released and, there's not, and there is not more opposition or world outrage about it. That's number one. Or maybe you'll correct me and tell me I'm wrong that there really is, that I'm just not noticing. And secondly, do we know what kind of deterrent this is? Is it, is it as effective as I think it is in terms of it being a deterrent for future terror attacks? It is a proven deterrent. It does evoke uh, criticism internationally. In this case, you know, there was a, a brutal murder and... Uh, maybe it was a little bit more muted, or maybe people <coughs> sorry, are getting used to it. But uh, it is a meaningful deterrent. The problem is that the PA, as we have learned in recent months and weeks, uh, allocates this year, uh, I think they allocated $172 million, and last year $140 million to pay both to rehab houses or to provide alternative houses, just as they pay pensions to those who kill. And the more they kill, the more they get, up to 3000 or $3,100 a month. The uh, numbers who are receiving this, this kind of assistance increases all the time. And it's another reflection of the corruption and the misuse of funds that should be used for the people, as we saw in Gaza. And, and more and more facts are coming out, both about World Vision, which we discussed, and the United Nations Development uh, Program, 
corruption where money intended to build housing, et cetera, what was, was uh, for, for people in Gaza was diverted to the building of tunnels and paying pensions and paying off terrorists and building a dock for, for um, terror, marine terrorists to, to train off of. I mean, it's, it's very widespread. It amounts to, to huge amounts of money. World Vision funneled hundreds of millions of dollars, including $200 million a year from the U.S., U.S. government, the Australian government, as you know, cut them off. The German government cut them off, but it was something, as you know, that people have warned about for a long time. Uh, think tanks and and uh, people have studied it uh, and continued to warn about. It's a massive corruption, and there are many of the people who, for whom there could have been mansions built. In fact, don't have housing. What is also of note. Is you know there is an election, a municipal election that's scheduled to take place October eighth, mm-hmm. and it is really heating up. and And I'm not sure that it will actually take place. I don't think Fatah really wants it. And now they arrested one of the key Hamas operatives, or the key Hamas operative in the West Bank. And because of that, the Hamas is saying now they'll pull out because Hamas has a different standard. They don't need to win; they just need to make a strong showing in the West Bank. A free election in Gaza, I think that they would lose. But the they, they made a video, the Hamas in Gaza, about how fantastic life is there, showing gorgeous homes and parks and, you know, facilities. And, and, and the, the, the hashtag, I think, is thank you, uh, thank you, Hamas. So somebody made a film, uh, you know, thanks, Hamas, and, and it shows all the terrible places in, uh, in yes. Gaza. But the, the fact is that you have malls, and stores overflowing with goods. It's not the story people tell about the Gaza for Hamas and the Gaza for the rich and, and the powerful, as opposed to the Gaza for those who, who are the victims of their own governments. So this election is going to highlight much, and, and it's a competition also for succession to Abbas. And, as you know, there are various candidates. So I'm not sure that Abbas is actually going to let an election take place. I think that you're going to see... Uh, more charges and counter charges about the reality. There is a lot of unrest, uh, especially about the economy and about the kleptocracy that um, Abbas runs, uh, and how hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, have been uh, have been wasted and diverted and, and misused. If Hamas was not involved in the election, would Fatah be more inclined to actually hold it, and be yes. more? They'd be more enthusiastic about it. They'd be much more likely to hold it. Because they, um, uh, you know, his fears obviously is losing, and losing means that you can lose a dozen municipalities. There are 400 plus, only 35 of them are in Gaza, and the, the, you know, losing major cities are, will certainly undermine their status in that before uh, a presidential election, or could put more pressure on them to um, to hold. A, a, a presidential election. All these elections are long overdue. This one is six years overdue. And as I said, I think the speculation is that they'll find a reason why it can't be held now, too, if Hamas stays in. They did not anticipate that Hamas would be running. They thought that, like in the last one, they would boycott it and say it's unfair. And Hamas already issued statements saying that, you know, it's been rigged and the, the arrests by Israel and by others of Hamas operatives uh, was part of an effort to counter the. Um, their election prospects. Well, they could ruin this election for Fatah like a good third-party candidate could. My gosh, mm, uh, they they could. It's a good it's a good comparison. And, and you see 
how others are learning. You saw that ISIS has picked up from the Palestinians the theme of kill a Jew and become a hero. They now have a poem called Kill Westerner, very much styled on the Palestinian uh, model. And, um, and the use of incitement, uh, this time not targeting Jews per se, but about killing Westerners and, and calling on people, you know, wherever they live to do so. Mm. Uh, this Susia case uh, with the um, potential demolition of, uh, you know, areas of, uh, I guess what we would call Arab Susia at this point, the South Hebron Hills, uh, th- does this situation basically uh, show us the influence of the EU and the NGOs in Israel, because without their backing, without their influence, without their lobbying, so to speak, this probably would have been resolved long ago? Well, they have been, and it should be resolved. People don't know the facts about the conditions there. They just see the condemnations, including from our own government, about the destruction of these houses, which were built illegally, which has gone through the Supreme Court more than once. It's been challenged. And the ruling was that this is, and these are, are illegal houses, uh, and uh, in any country, people demolish it and, and take down houses that are built against the, the zoning rules or the construction rules, uh, and, and that is the simple case here. This is in the history of Susi is very interesting. I think people should read about it. It's an ancient community. There's a very interesting archaeological digs there. Um, um, but, you know, people should look at the facts. People jump to conclusions right away about some of the controversies, and they say, well, why doesn't Israel just resolve one? Because you can't, you have to have some rules. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. If the, Because of the EU and all these NGOs and their, and their participation in all this, Israeli officials who should be making these decisions earlier rather than later, you know, delay their decisions and are hesitant to, to, to lay down the laws you just described. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you should also know what, what uh, Lieberman did this week. He, in, he, he announced a new policy uh, towards Palestinians living in Yudon Shamron and, on, uh, and said that it's a sort of carrot and stick model. He offered economic benefits to the families and the communities that have not produced terrorists and punishment, harsher punishment for those areas where terrorists seem to breed. And uh, it, it, it really is to to reward those who are prepared for coexistence. I think he it was the term he used. And places like Beit Sahur, where they're going to build a hospital, and in western uh, Nablus, uh, an industrial zone, and I think a couple places, a soccer field, and other infrastructure in Kalkilia and uh, Isbat Tabib, uh, uh, and an economic corridor from uh, Yericho to, to Jordan. And... Um, and, and they're holding talks with uh, Palestinian figures without the approval of the Palestinian Authority, which usually controls any exchanges or conversations with Israeli officials. So I think this is a, an a interesting experiment, and we'll have to see whether whether it actually works or not. Hmm. And you also saw the arrest in the West Bank of Hezbollah cells, um, at least two or three of them, uh, and it's an effort by Hezbollah to infiltrate and to recruit people from the West Bank to both fight for them and to be terrorists to work from within. And uh, the breaking these groups was very important. Another week having gone by, does the $400 million Iran uh, a cash on the plane case look more like a ransom situation for three American hostages or not? 
Well, I guess everybody defines it somewhat differently, but it certainly appears that, uh, and, and the fact now that we learned that the money was held up until the hostages were actually in the air and then was turned over, the, the, the money was owed before, but the timing would make it look like, and, and the Amer- uh, State Department yes, they acknowledged that what they called leverage. Other people will say it was ransom, but right. they said that it was the leveraging the repayment of the money that was due Iran. And the question is how many codicils, how many things we will find out were agreed to. There is now a charge that I saw, and I, I don't know yet whether this is correct, but that they're removing the uh, human rights repertoire from, uh, on Iran, uh, the U.N. representative who had been very tough on Iran, and uh, some say that the United States is backing the removal of this person, whether this was part of the, another one of the agreements or understandings. But the very fact that people are suspect of everything indicates, I think, something about the mistrust uh, of the deal, and that, that is why this issue of the repayment, which is a lot of money, $1.7 billion all told, it's now all been paid, paying it in cash, in euros, and, and Swiss francs, and, and, and in dollars, I guess, uh, and the and the indication is that the plane, the Iran airplane, was uh, IRGC, the Iran Revolutionary Guard, and the money then fell into their hands on arrival. And this is obviously uh, for terrorists having this kind of cash and hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, you know, that doesn't go through banks and is not traceable once you have it. So that's another uh, concern that has risen during the week about. The four hundred million. The as the election heats up here in the U.S. and I know that you have a certain attitude you've described to us about your view of this election and the time we should or shouldn't spend on it. But we will continue to hear more and more about advisors and the people who are being hired as staff members. And, you know, some of their statements of the past, uh, it seems every time I shouldn't say every time, but it seems very often. Uh, something is uncovered about somebody and their attitude, uh, the things they said about the Holocaust or other things you know, regarding Israel or Jewish history. Uh, can we assume at this point this is par for the course? I'm not trying to minimize it or, or, or say that people shouldn't be vetted by the press, etc., but, but it just seems that every time there's a new hire, there's going to be you know, some type of, uh, of um, you know, theory from the past that's going to come up that will haunt these people. So it uh, again reminds us of uh, the age-old adage, you know, Chachamim Yisairo, that wise people be careful with your words, and um, and you know today anything you say at any time will now come back to haunt you because of Facebook, because of internet, because of all the records, and I, I don't dismiss when if people said things that were truly offensive, then it, it is of significance if. Uh, you know, uh, things were said or articles that were written that were hostile, that those things matter because it, and if those people are going to be in influential positions. Right now, we don't know who's going to be in an influential position, so people <coughs> are judging uh, about those who are involved in the campaigns uh, more than those necessarily who will be involved in the administrations themselves. But it is an important thing for people to know and to, to get a sense of of. Who, who is in positions of influencing the direction both of campaigns, of policies, proposals, and then of the transition for whoever wins. And finally, uh, when, when Syrian airplanes uh, bomb you know, a Kurdish outposts, is that a, is that a, uh, does that increase the tension between Syria and the United States? Is it irrelevant to the U.S.? 
you know, as we try to figure out where the U.S. falls in this whole, you know, Syrian situation with Russia, Iran, etc., um, you know, does it cause more friction between the two? Well, I think this week was a very critical week in this regard, and I think people better pay attention to what we're seeing happening. The, the fact is that Russia has moved into the void. Some say that the U.S., the West, has created. The, um, Germany came out with a very tough report against Turkey, talked about it as a hub for Islamists in Yemen and Muslim, for Muslim Brotherhood, uh, for, for Hezbollah, for uh, terrorists in Syria. We've seen the, the, um, um, the fight over Insulka Air Force Base, the reports that maybe the Russians will be allowed to fly out of there. We have 50 at least nuclear bombs there in the United States, and they're protected. They're underground in a sort of vault, but uh, there's talk about removing them. The, the situation vis-a-vis Turkey having Erdogan go to, to Moscow. We see the trilateral block that some people say is being created between Russia, Turkey, and Iran. This is the really big story of, of, the, of the week, and the when you, you hear the reports in Turkey, for one second just about Turkey, that they people believe that the U.S. was behind the, the coup, and in part because Gulen is here, you know, who they cl- claim is the central figure in, in the right. opposition. But 69% of the people believe that it was the CIA, and 20% more believe it's the White House. doesn't leave much, uh, much of the population doesn't believe we were behind it. And the... Um, the, uh, the um, in 2016, there was a Warsaw summit, and they said, you know, it's a little likelihood that NATO will use nukes, but we're keeping them, the capabilities, etc. So the other side is looking at this and now saying, well, maybe there is a, a major shift taking place in the whole region where Turkey, which is a member of NATO, they won't go so far to withdraw or to jeopardize their membership there, I think. Um, but you have uh, the Russians... Fight, uh, flying now out of Iranian Air Force bases, which is the first time I think since World War II that that was that Iran has allowed any foreigners to fly out, and there was opposition uh, to the decision. Now that today they announced that that in fact the National Security Council had authorized it. Uh, that you see the increasing infiltration of Iran in Yemen, which is heating up again. Obviously in Syria, Iraq, uh, uh, Lebanon, Bahrain, uh, they the. Uh, the, the Iranian-Russia relationship, which has a longer history than most people know, but you saw the delivery of the S-300, the sophisticated any aircraft system. The Iran saying they're purchasing airplanes, 100 planes from the uh, the Russians, and the overall sale of the planes is another issue was highlighted this week because you have now them buying planes from Boeing from elsewhere. And, you know, the idea that these are really going to be used for, for only domestic purposes is <laughs> more planes on order than the whole air, uh, Iranian uh, fleet today. Wow. So these are planes that can be stripped down and used for military purposes or readjusted for military uh, 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 purposes. And the, the shifts that we've seen taking place, the, um, you know, 17,000 people were reported killed in the prisons in Syria over the last four years. And the terrible tales and horror tales that have come out from some of the people um, that that got out, that were able to get out. The use of incendiary bombs in, in Syria uh, uh, with a napalm-like um, component. Um, the, and and they're, they're all signatories to international agreement that forbids the use of these things. We are seeing an escalation. And again, why I, I think the obsession with the campaign 
has obscured many of the critical issues that people really should be uh, focused on because we we could be seeing a very significant shift. And remember, I pointed out the picture of Aliyev, the president of Azerbaijan, together with Rouhani, together with Putin. We're driving people into the arms of Putin who do not want to be there. And he wants to reassert the FSU, the control over the near abroad and the former countries of the FSU. And, you know, that the changes that take place are not going to flip back and forth. These are changes that could be be, be, uh, significant for years to come. And so I hope people keep track of all of this as they you know, I want them to follow the elections, but there are really significant things happening. Wow. Uh, even more so, got to be very careful about who's going to be in the White House controlling all this from this end. Unbelievable. We'll inherit it. And then, of course, we have now the, the U.N. session coming up. And I don't believe, again, as I told you, that they will do anything in the anything significant, although the Palestinians are talking more and more seriously about a, a resolution on the settlement issue, which will, in right. order to try to box in the U.S., to, to use the language of the U.S. about Israel's construction policies, etc., that will make it hard for them to veto it. But again, I think the, the uh, French initiative and the Palestinian initiative may be put off, and it is only after November when we are likely to see either a presidential speech about the parameters or something that could turn into a, 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 some resolution at the United Nations. But I think that the, you know these next five months, while an election takes place and while many other significant things uh, are, are going to be very important, and, and because you have the cloud of the elections and the controversies, which take up 90% of the news, we don't read about uh, uh, about the, the fight between Turkey and the U.S. over the extradition of Gulen and, you know, the, the, the backlash in Turkey against the United States, the new alliances or temporary relationships that, that uh, and the exacerbation of the situation in Yemen, and nobody even talks yep, about it anymore. That's for sure. All right, we'll have a chance to explore more of this as we continue. Have a wonderful Shabbos Nachamun. We'll speak Mir Tashem next week. God willing. Uh, there he is, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents and Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday mornings here with us with a weekly update at JM in the AM.